Hello, Docalos listeners to the Documenteers. I'm your host, Bob Sham, and let me please lay out the cot and welcome you to the Documenteers podcast. Bob Sham, I am the guy that hosts all of the episodes, and he splits it off with his buds and his lovely wife. And in this episode, Ginger joins me, and we are just going to discuss a movie in the honor of Creeptober. We watch our creepy documentaries. And in this episode, Ginger and I discuss a, f- a film that we have discussed personally many times, and it is about them black metal boys. You know when your parents were like, that metal music, it's the devil, it's the devil, it's evil. We all knew that was kind of bullshit, but then something called Norwegian black metal popped up, went hard, became that metal that everyone was afraid of. But yeah, this movie follows these characters in the early days of the black metal scene. And it's also kind of true crimey because they committed some fucking crimes. Oh, I also want to point out, because there are some deaths associated with the black metal scene, one that is often not mentioned enough is that a firefighter did lose his life when fighting the fire when at a Methodist church that was burning in Norway. That's one death that can be attributed to some of the players in the early black metal scene. But yeah, I think this is a fine October movie. And these boys, it's a little complicated because, gosh, I like some of this music. But admittedly, I don't know what the lyrics are saying, but the sound of it, I actually really kind of like. And the aesthetic, the, the the music aesthetic, I don't really I don't really get the corpse paint stuff, but uh, it's all about the sound for me. But anyway, I distract myself. Next week on the podcast, Stuart joins me. And we discuss a straight-up paranormal documentary to close Creeptober out. This episode will drop the day before Halloween. How appropriate as we discuss that weird place in North Utah, the Skinwalker Ranch, the place where a lot of crazy shit has gone down. And this movie is hot off the presses. A new one by a guy named Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell. We watched hunt for the skinwalker and Stuart and I will give you our honest opinion on it and so we near the end of creeptober next week i just want to thank all the people who listen to the documentaries podcast kiss yourself you deserve it look in a mirror and put a ring on it for yourself that was fucking dumb let's watch this movie until the light takes us by those black metal boys Aaronates and Audrey Ewell keep on docking Now, here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. October. Spooky. We're a little closer to Halloween now. October has five Tuesdays in it. Five that, spooky Tuesdays. That means we're, gonna have, we're having five spooky episodes total in October. Week one, 
Akil and I discussed Never Sleep Again, the Elm Street Legacy, the marathon of a fucking episode in which we discuss the history of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Week two, true crime and meme culture collide where these little girls, they kill on behalf of Slenderman in the film Beware the Slenderman. Week three, Drew, the Knicks fan, had to tell the harrowing tale of the time where Reggie Miller in the 90s shot deep threes all over the faces of John Starks and Patrick Ewing. And 30 for 30, winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. Now we're in week four, a little closer to Spooky Day. And Ginger is with me. Hey, Ginger. Hey, Bobby. And we are discussing Until the Light Takes Us by Aaron Ates and Audrey Ewell. About them black metal boys up in Norway with with their interesting opinions on life and uh, what they think things should be. Yeah, yep. They ain't just uh, metal boys up in grandma's basement though there's something a little different about these metal boys in that they do bad bad things sometimes mm-hmm. tell me bobby why you cho- why why you decided to do this for for the halloween spooky month well we often do rock docs not exclusively but often right metal because apparently we have to do a metal <laughs> and somewhere in the every group of 10 episodes there has to be a metal documentary mm-hmm. one you and i have discussed this movie Outside of this podcast several times. A lot. That's true. Yep. And actual metal dudes that legitimately can be scary. I think it works well with October. I think it's perfect. And, I, you know, I don't know if we should offer a disclaimer that, you know, some of the imagery in this documentary is a little uh, is a little rough, maybe, for some people. So if you choose to watch it, maybe consider that. A picture is shown of a, a former member who mm-hmm. is dead. And that's about the hardest thing. If you don't like looking at church burnings, maybe turn your head. There's also some performance art that might <laughs> oh, uh, right. that might freak <laughs> some people out. I don't know. This movie, the black metal scene, I found this on Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free there. Yep. I've seen it a long time ago, at least when it made its major North American debut or wherever it premiered. I think it premiered in New York on one screen. I think it made about seven grand for a one screen showing on a single day, which is pretty damn good for... Such a low-budget movie. And this is a very low-budget movie, for yeah. sure. But this movie, it brought the black metal scene was already kind of underground. You had to be a big metalhead to maybe know a lot about it. Metal magazines would talk a lot about it. and But I wasn't, I didn't grow up a metal kid. I didn't read Kerrang! Or, and shit like that. So when I heard about this, well, I'd heard of the book Lords of Chaos. But I hadn't read it. And then this movie started circulating, get, getting talked about, and I'd not known anything about the black metal scene. And this movie really brought the black metal scene outside of just the metal circles and into like the casual music fan culture. People are looking for like weird culture shit, casual music nerdery, and it brought it to light to pretty much everyone else outside the metal circle. This movie tracks the, the infamy of black metal as it goes through. And the movie that we watch is also kind of another stage of its infamy and where it's set and where how and the fact that so many people are into it. In Europe, it's very well known because some churches were burned by some dudes. And that was big news over there. Bigger than bigger than here because America's so self-centered. True, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna work. They dress in corpse paint. They mm-hmm. don't cover it, but apparently they would bury their clothes and wear them just to simulate being yeah, in the ground <laughs> to look extra dead but what is your relationship with this movie you know i watched it uh, a good while ago and it made a really big impression on me now i've seen it three maybe four times and you know i was telling you before 
like I, I'll watch it and just I can't really get it out of my head. I think it's I think the whole scene is really fascinating. You know, part of me kind of wishes that there was more of a deep dive into like the music of the scene a little bit more. I mean, really, this this film kind of covers mostly sort of the controversy and some of the criminal activity that was happening within that scene, which is also really fascinating. And I love learning about that. But really, it's mostly just kind of further sparked an interest that I already have. It kind of makes me just want to learn more. I think also what's interesting about the black metal scene is that over the years, people have this idea of what metal is. People who don't listen to it that much. Metal is often cited in satanic panics. They killed themselves because of Ozzy Osbourne or Slayer or whatever. And if you kind of dive into these bands, it seems kind of a stretch to just blame things like that on these type of bands. A lot of these bands are just talking about like going to war and being victims of government oppression or religious oppression. Those are common themes in uh, metal music. But the black metal scene was like if all those people who made those false claims during satanic panic, and while the black metal musicians are not Satanists, it's an oversimplification, mm -hmm. and they're angry about being called Satanists. Right. They, they, they say explicitly, we aren't Satanists, but that is what the media is trying to paint us as and you'll see like all the all the footage and the coverage is satanists did this and satanists did that so it's it's true and black metal at least in its day because it's become so influential and broad now that most black metal musicians they aren't burning churches and killing people but back then this close-knit norwegian community these dudes really did live up to those kind of things that that preachers used to warn kids about in metal that's the fascinating part of, of it it is a parent's worst nightmare and they went in that direction they took it there yeah they walked the walk essentially and some of the kind of story that unfolds we'll see as the documentary kind of like develops in story some of the issue comes from members of this movement of this community were actually taking the action and some weren't and there was a little bit of competition and some like bad feelings about that that some were willing to kind of like go that extra distance and some just weren't. We'll get into it when we get into <laughs> yeah. it. There's a lot of ideology. There's certain resentments in this movie that I can kind of understand the resentment of commercialization. That comes up. But there's also nationalistic ideology, racial ideology, and there's some homophobic moments. I mean, these guys, they're not really good guys. And maybe a lot of them have calmed down over the years. But when they discuss this stuff, they're still a philosophy towards it in their mind. It may be a little tampered down. They're very resentful. They're not Satanists, they're Odinists. They like the old pagan religions that the Scandinavian countries used to worship, Thor right. and Hela and shit like that. And so when they do bad things, they don't do it in the name of Satan. They do it in the name of like Odin and like the old gods. And everything else is just like a Halloween prop, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a direct rebellion against the Christian influence. Um, and that's something we hear over and over again from them. It's just like how they're feeling like all of their pagan Norwegian roots are being stamped out by this, this Christian influence that's coming in and just basically taking over. You, you said it before, like they are have feelings of wanting to go to war yeah. against this notion. And they sort of start putting that into motion in certain ways. And as someone who grew up in the South but is not a religious person, I can kind of understand the resentment towards that religious structure. It's something I I dealt with a lot more reactionarily when I was younger. And now I'm just kind of, you know, more like keep my head down and just represent myself. But 
I kind of get it on that sense, not in the sense of like, I need my old gods to come back because I don't like buy that either, but nor do I I promote just burning buildings down. I just don't give money to churches when they ask for it. That's how I right. <laughs> deal yeah. with that. And that's, yeah. That's I don't a, burn them down. <laughs> you know, these are, you know, we have to kind of remember that these are all, like at the time when all this was happening, these are pretty young guys. They're that's, in their 20s, early 20s. Some are even like younger, a yes. little bit younger. So, you know, that's an age where you're just starting to feel yourself thinking that you're invincible and you can do anything and they're weird kids that put on corpse paint they all look like the fucking crow or something <laughs> and they take themselves very seriously very seriously but as much as i don't promote a lot of their messages i kind of like this music i kind of enjoy it they were having this reactionary thing and that translates, that passion does translate into the music. And when they explain what they were going for, it really makes sense. But let's dive in. Let's do it. Oh, we're also going to fuck up names left and right in this movie. It takes place in Norway. My American tongue struggles. <laughs> yeah, so feel free to laugh at us because we're both going to probably butcher some stuff. We go to Oslo, Norway, and we meet a Gilv, Gilve Nagel. I think it's Gilv. I think I hear Gilv. them calling him Gilv from time to time, yeah. His name is Fenris. Mm -hmm. Get used to Fenris because you're going to watch him walk. You're going to You're going to watch a camera follow him all throughout this movie. And he was the drummer for one of the OG black metal groups, Dark Throne. Dark Throne put out a seminal record, a record I actually have, or okay. at least digitally. A Blaze in the Northern Sky. <laughs> the first and one of the most influential black metal records out there. Black and white cover and a dude in the black and white face paint. That's uh, They call that corpse paint. And many other bands would come along and perfect it and contribute certain styles to it that would be carried on to the future but dark throne was the first oh, we see finners he's on a train he's getting searched by norwegian security or police and uh he gets busted on having tear gas in his bag yeah just carrying around some tear gas but he was just charged a fine it was very interesting he was very calm i, I have to just i'll just go right ahead and say i love Finris. I think that he's just awkward and charming and sort of like a good-natured kind of dude, but also he's maybe like a dark, angry guy also. I don't know. He's, he seems he, he just seems cool. He's, he's like real calm with the whole thing. Like he's like, I'm getting searched, you know, and whatever. But, but all these black metal guys, they have a level of ego. They enjoy explaining right. what this shit is. And they'll all kind of throw mild shade on each other, but also they kind of still seem to revere each other in certain ways. And maybe even though they didn't burn churches, they're a little supportive of those that did. But we meet a guy, his name is Varg Varkness, otherwise known as Count Grishnok. <laughs> He's one of the most infamous involved. And he's speaking of Finners, and he says, Gilbert is, as I said, is a special person with special goals, and it's impossible to know what his goals are. Why does Finners have tear gas? I feel like if you got caught with tear gas on an American train, well, you'd get locked up, because our country loves to imprison people for very little. 
they'll throw you in a tank and at least hold you because they can just hold you for like a day. It just seemed interesting that they were just like, tear gas, here's a fine. I was actually kind of surprised, like, you know, watching it, like getting into the end of, of the film and like kind of learning more about him as a person and what he is and isn't willing to do or involved in, in the scene. Like, I was like, why do you have tear gas? I want to know, like, why can't you, why couldn't he explain that to us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's how, you know, how random. And he was like, Definitely they didn't find any drugs, of course, but they found the tear gas. And I think that another kind of common theme among these guys is very anti-drug. They don't drink. They don't They do not do drugs. Hmm. Nothing like that. I think they reference drinking some as Maybe. they talk about their older stories. Maybe it evolved into being something like that. But yeah. no, they don't. They don't talk about drugs very much. That's right. that's for sure. There's ambient music constantly throughout, or various. Not it's not always ambient, but various electronic music. Well, I can tell you that the song that opens and closes the film is by a um, Icelandic band called Mum, and the song is called "Ballad of the Broken Birdie Records." So I, I found that I've been listening to it because I kind of like it. I mean, it kind of gives like a cool vibe. Film. Definitely want to seek out the soundtrack to this. I yeah. think that'd be very interesting. There's a lot of music played in there, and it's not just black metal, but a lot of it is Scandinavian. Isn't some of Fenris's current music, doesn't that appear in this movie? I think it might. There's also there's also some songs from Burzum <laughs> and from Mayhem, which will talk more about you know mm. as we get into it Benrez does he's he's had some new music through the years and he's got a folk metal band called Isengard fuck the same man and um he also has a an ambient project called Neptune Towers I remember first watching this film and being like oh this electronic music but I've really changed over the years and how I view music as I take in more and more, like I go in and out of these scenes, I become obsessed with certain genres. I didn't hate it as much. In fact, I was a lot more curious about it this time around. A lot of people when they get older, they say that people just double down on what they love. And I definitely have music from my past that I still love to this day. At the same time, don't make a lot of excuses for a lot of the music from my past. I think a lot of it doesn't hold up very well. But I feel like I move forward and I'm not opposed to certain pop styles or dance styles. I feel like I'm one of the few people that is getting older and is expanding what they want to know about music and the genres that they listen to. Yeah, that's very respectable. I think more people should be like that. I try to be a little bit like that. This podcast, this is our fourth metal-themed documentary. Movies like Iron Maiden, Flight 666, and Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which actually made me buy some Judas Priest records because I was curious. And stay in class. That's an, a fucking great record. My album count for metal has is starting to grow fairly exponentially. I was not a metalhead, but in my days where I wasn't a metalhead, I did learn about black metal. <laughs> but Varg Vargnes, he was in a band called Burzum. <laughs> you see him in prison. We'll tell you why he's in prison a little later. Right. And can I, you know, speaking of Varg and his band Burzum. <laughs> so Burzum, however you want Burzum. <laughs> It's a one man. I mean, it's just him. It's just a one man band. It's just Varg. Um, and Burzum <laughs> means darkness in black speech, which is a Tolkien language that <laughs> the Tolkien language in the Tolkien world created by Sauron to for his like Mordor servants to keep them under his 
control. And it's also the language that the One Ring, the inscription on the One Ring, is in black speech. You're a fucking nerd. Nerd. You're a fucking nerd. So anyway. Interesting. It is interesting, right? Nerd. So you know me as like a Lord of the Rings fan. So of course this, this little factoid was really interesting to me. I've known this about you for years, that you were obsessed with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings stuff. You're a fucking nerd. Yeah, it's true. Now, well, and just one more thing is that on the One Ring inscription, um, part of part of the inscription is the word darkness, Burzum, is in it. So I just find that particularly interesting. Fucking nerd. All right, nerd, settle Thank, down. Okay, 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 I'm done. And I'm an eagle. I like The Hobbit. I'm a big fan of that book. Nerd. Count Grishnak, he talks a little bit about his time in being locked up and he says there's no freedom but you can read a lot now norwegian prison you'll notice when they're talking to him they've got like nice curtains i think they get little tvs in their room when you're sentenced to the max sentence in norway it's only 21 years that's right and le- except for anders brevik the the norway shooter who the mass shooter i think he's one of the few people that they haven't explicitly said he's locked up forever like he's eligible for parole, but he might be the only Norwegian that could very well spend the rest of his life in prison. And also, uh, you know, Trondheim, which was where, which is where Varg, Varg is, is a maximum security prison. But you're right; it's like very kind of like a summer camp a little bit in the feel of it. I know by our American standards, it can seem very light, even to someone like me who, for me, prison reform is like a big issue. But here's an important thing to know about these countries. Recidivism rate is extremely low, and crime is nowhere even near as high as it is here in any capacity. People drink a lot of these cold-ass places. I think a lot of crime is often revolving around that. But it may seem light, but they don't. Here we lock up people like crazy. Our system is not preventing anything, and their system appears to be doing that. If you commit murder or rape, I'm like, well, you should go away for a very long time. But in Norway, it's like, uh, 21 years at the most. But Fenris, he speaks about Varg. He says Varg's more into politics, but what he contributed to the scene is still incredible. He was right on, and it was the shit. That was the shit, man. He talks about how he wanted, like, a really bad sound. Yeah. So he asked for the worst microphone, ended up recording into a headset, and had, like, a little tiny amp, and that is just what he wanted. He wanted kind of like a bad, raw, sort of dirty sound it's lower than lo-fi a lot of indie rock that i've came up listening to had had some lo-fi quality to it some of those bands this is even lower than that i'm talking like a handheld tape recorder (laughs) but they do manage to get those unique sounds and grishnacht you talked about how he wanted everything to be so low end he called it the end of production corpse sound let us remind you these are teenagers pretty much and they're very melodramatic and take stupid shit way too seriously but this shit put them into infamy and celebrities you see if you notice i think about this shit all the time when celebrities like if uh like taylor swift got huge at what 15 16 she's trapped at that age of where she peaked because the time of no one saying no to her began at that point. And I think these guys in their own way, they they don't have, they're not as propped as Taylor Swift is, 
but they have legions of fans all over the world. Anything they say will be lifted up by a certain group of people. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely. think these guys are all pretty much trapped in like their early 20s, like mentally. It seems so. And, you know, I've kind of been a little bit of following up on Finriz and Varg specifically. And I mean, I know that they have both, we've kind of talked about how they've released music since then. And Varg has released music since he's been out of prison, even under Burzum and maybe some other projects too. But you can hear, like, I've listened to some and the production value has like increased, you know. So he's probably gone and maybe in, even into an actual studio. I don't know. I can't speak. Certainly on that, but it does sound a little bit more polished than that early album he was recording into a headset. Now, the corpse paint shown on the cover of A Blaze in the Northern Sky, that pretty much set the standard. Every black metal band from then on is walking around with black eyes and white face paint. And a band comes along that becomes very influential, Mayhem. Nineteen eighty four. So from Mayhem we we meet his name is Dead and you know it's kind of talked about how he's the first one to really kind of go for that corpse paint look. You know, he was on stage with the corpse paint and sort of like embodying the spirit, you know, and a lot of the guys were kind of like looking up to him and looking to him to sort of emulate that sort of style. And Dead was from Sweden and he was yeah, he was the showman and he enjoyed cutting himself. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing that he would do. Also in Mayhem is a guy named Euronymous, who will be very important later in the story. And I think his name is Oystein Arsith. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah. And Varg talks about how uh, Dead wanted to borrow some shotgun shells. And uh, Varg was like, yeah, okay. Dead, who, living up to his name, decides to shoot himself. His uh, roommate, Euronymous had to crawl in through the window because he couldn't get back into the house. So when he comes in, I think this story is told by Varg. And uh, when he crawled in, he found dead, uh, dead, dead in the, in the bed. <laughs> and uh, with his, you know, his brains blown out, literally. He shot himself on the forehead. The brain had fallen out from his skull. It was, you know, grotesque. And the first thing he did was not to call the cops. It was, where's my... Uh, photo uh, equipment and it shows the picture in this movie for like a, it lingers this photo it does yeah then it kind of cuts away then it cuts right back to it it's a brutal picture of dead has shot himself he's in his corpse paint it's a gruesome fucking ass picture and that became the uh original album cover for dawn of the black hearts <laughs> Hammer, the drummer of Mayhem, talks about how Euronymous like called him. Is like, oh, guess what? You know, Dead has done something really cool. He's killed himself. And <laughs> Hellhammer's like, what? And uh, Euronymous asks him to develop the film, and you know he agrees to. And then I, you know, he, you, you can kind of see that he's sort of like he's playing it cool. Maybe he felt a little weird about Euronymous doing this, but he he went along with it. But I think I feel like I read that because of that, the bass player left the band. And that's when Varg actually joined the band as the as the Mayhem bass player, at least for a while. That's how all that sort of came together. There was also a rumor um, that I read that um, Euronymous took the 
skull matter and like gave it to the different band members to like put on a necklace and oh, stuff. Yeah. But oh, I mean, I don't know if that's really you know for true. a black metal musician that's pretty sweet. It is sweet. I mean, that's a, a nice commemoration. You can get copies of this uh, with the original cover. Uh, there's an alternate cover that came out later that just showed dead alive standing in front of a camera. Yeah, but there's some uh, uh, vinyl prints, like 200. If you can spare a couple hundred bucks, you can get this on vinyl with the OG cover if you want to see something like that. It's, it's up to you. Yeah. And it's interesting the way this documentary kind of like treats all of this. The way they sort of do it, they present this the stories and this information by kind of cutting between these different talking head band members, various band members of different bands and stuff. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting how sort of blah they are about this. And you really, you know, it really made me wonder, were they really so who cares about it at the time? Or if it was really more of like a thing and they're just, you know, maybe enough time has gone by that they're not reacting to it in an emotional way. Or if really it was just kind of like a, wow, this is really cool. And this is just kind of who we are and we're going to use this. I think sort a, of feeling. I think a part of them wanted to appear a little apathetic, but they constantly were talking. They didn't mind talking all about it. Yeah. And they didn't mind like patting each other and themselves on the back for certain aspects of this scene. Yeah. And they did make something that was very influential. You can't really take that away from them. Sometimes I chalked it up to them just being from another place. Our American nature is a little more reactionary. Maybe yeah. it's just culturally a little different. Fenris, he says he refuses to stand court-martialed for the trend of black metal. Because he may have helped start it, but he wasn't doing what other people were doing. Gosh, was it Varger Fenris who talked about how they did not walk want to walk in the garish footsteps of commercial death metal. Mm. They saw death metal going mainstream and they wanted to move beyond that. And we also see Fenders cuddling with a girl at a rock cafe. Wasn't that so cute? I just love that. He's so smiley and happy. And we also meet a guy named Bjorn Melgard. He's an artist, uh, a visual artist, and he, uh, use, he utilizes black metal aesthetics in his art. And he, and he describes black metal musicians as extreme Norwegian persons. <laughs> what did you think about Bjorn? You know, did you have you ever seen Exit Through the Gift Shop? Yeah. A part of me kind of reminded me of that guy, where he just was so desperate to embody something. But, but there's something about the desperation. It seemed like Bjorn, he really did have a real appreciation for black metal. But as he tried to utilize it and bring it about, it may be almost... It, he really more represented the trend that black metal became yeah. more than maybe the purity of it. Cause the undiluted black metal, it's way past. No one's going to get to that point ever again. He just looked like a regular Norwegian dude. He didn't really look like a long haired metal dude. Yeah. Which I mean, you don't necessarily have to, you know, mimic something that you're trying to represent through art, I suppose, like, you know, in your own aesthetic, but yeah, I kind of agree. I think what you're saying is maybe he was sort of like focusing on the superficial aesthetic of the black metal scene yeah, in a way and not really sort of like truly capturing spirit. But you know, I don't even know what that would look like. Like how would you sure. as it's, an artist? He also has these paintings that are a style of black metal. It's not going to be like really refined in terms of what things are going to be represented. That was the whole point of recording on the shittiest equipment mm -hmm. and the shittiest recorders and stuff, shit like that. Did not care much for the paintings. Right. They just seemed a little adolescent to me in a lot of ways, not necessarily stylistically, but in the lack of subtlety, subtlety in the message 
that it was conveying on each painting. Yeah, and a little later on, we actually see Fenris go to one of the one of the gallery showings of this art collection, and he looks at one of those paintings and he says, "Oh, this guy needs to stick to decaf from now on." <laughs> Can I circle back real quick, talking about how maybe Bjorn's his art, his aesthetic here is sort of maybe representing black metal in like sort of like this way that these guys like Varg and Fenris are talking about how it becomes. It has become something else. Like it's been sort of taken and commercialized or sort of polished up in a way. And I keep referencing how that happens, especially Fenris. He, he seems pretty upset about that. But they never really talk about what that looks like. Kind of here and there they say, oh, guys, we're in spikes in their arms or this or that. But I kind of wanted to see more of what they meant by that. Like, are there, are there specific bands that are sort of sellout style bands yeah. like that have taken the black metal thing and like made it into something a little bit more like glossy and... Yeah, I wonder, yeah, there's like a Swedish band that's a black metal group that's currently doing their thing. I forget their name off the top of my head. They've managed to monetize and be very successful because, you know, when you don't murder people or burn churches down, you can maybe stay out of lockup. You, you can know? get a little farther. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. you can make it work. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm wondering what their opinions would be on groups like that for sure. We uh, discuss a record shop called Helveta. Helveta. Which stands for hell. Hell. And they were talking about this little Helveta with a dark basement. And everyone lived... Everyone in this scene lives somewhere in this building. Yeah, so apparently, Varg lived there. He lived in the basement. There was another guy, Faust, who we'll learn a little bit more about in a minute. He lived behind the counter. Yeah. I'd like to see what that looks like. And then Euronymous had um, a little hideaway, like a little trapdoor kind of hideaway that he would live in. And this reminded me of the first Decline movie we watched where they were living in that little... A yeah. little place and like they had like a little trap door on the ceiling and somebody was living in a closet and stuff. Yeah, That's... Ron Reyes was yes. in like a hole, basically. <laughs> That's kind of what I was picturing here. Varg, he's telling stories about how they're sitting around the Helveta uh, record shop and how they'd get these metal guys that would show up with nails in their jackets and how like we were their idols. And if we talked to them, they'd be like, Oh my God, Count Grishnok talked to me. But they were speaking so dismissively. And we were like, ignore these heavy metal guys. We would talk like about cornflakes and <laughs> they would think we were so cool. And they're talking about this well after all this has happened. He's in jail. This is what I'm talking about. There's still, a big part of them is still trapped. He hasn't changed in terms of how he views all that shit. And we do see Bard, aka Faust. He was in the band called Emperor. Mm-hmm. And we see old drumming footage, and we see this kid, but when Faust is talking to the camera, he's blacked out. Yeah. I think he's locked up during the timing of this film. He would end up going to jail for about 14 years. Yeah. I don't know why he shadows his image. Maybe that has something to do with some, I don't know if it's like some black metal choice, or if it's something to do with the law of the country he's in. He'd be locked up in Norway, right? That wouldn't make sense because Varg, we can see Varg. Faust. He sparks this. We talked about how there's a culture of one-upmanship in this black metal scene. And Faust really took it to a whole other threshold. In uh, 1992, he would murder a man named Magne Andresen. He killed him because he said because he was a gay man. And we see footage of Hellhammer 
referencing Faust doing this. And Hellhammer says that he really honored him for that. Yeah, and I wrote uh, I wrote on my notes after that in parentheses vomit. And like, yeah, in like all caps. <laughs> how does how does what does that have to do with your Odin worship? It's ridiculous. I don't know. I think that you know he was kind of saying before that that you know Faust was sort of like you know a nice kid. Everybody liked having him around, um, and it was more like they no one would have suspected this kid of committing this crime so you know there was a respect level for how extreme his actions were and also probably because they're all homophobic in a way i don't know what the levels of homophobia or anything were in ancient nordic viking tales i know the ancient romans it wasn't that big a deal a lot of soldiers would cook up it kind of helped create a bond imagine when vikings are sailing across those lonely ass seas i would be shocked if there wasn't a little something of that going on so but my point is do you think he unwittingly is hanging on when he gets homophobic like that that they are being manipulated by judeo-christian values Mm. that they claim to be against maybe so Mm. that's an interesting observation maybe you check your brain hellhammer check yourself and faust I hope you get. I hope you go back to prison, because mm. fuck you. <laughs> That's right. We see a Norway kid soldier parade. It's set to. It, it, it's to show an example of modern Norwegian culture and its traditions and what it honors from the past. And Finris, he starts going on a fuck Christianity tour. Christianity, he says, has completely destroyed the old European cultures and how they worship and how they are. We are white American people. We are descended from European cultures. And someone who isn't religious almost think of that Christianity being a, an old product of the European cultures. But I always forget this. Like, oh, yeah, my ancestors, you go further back than that. They weren't they weren't worshiping uh, Jesus and the cross. It was some Celtic shit, some Celtic gods, some Norwegian gods. I'm a real quilt of European DNA ancestry. I'm all over the place. Varg says that Christianity is the cause of all problems. Now, I'm not one of these anti-religious guys that thinks if you get rid of religion, everybody's going to be nice to each other. But it does cause a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We meet Garm. Uh, He's from Olver. And he calls... Christian, the Christian influence in Norway nauseating mm-hmm. and that beautiful cultures are being contaminated. These guys want to go back to the old, old days. They want things to be destroyed so that they can build something new based around their original Nordic roots. Yeah, and Var kind of talks about how, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what to do about that. It's hard to know what to do to oppose something. In, uh, because uh, dissident voices are not tolerated in the contemporary society. That's when I think they were kind of formulating plans of like, well, how are we going to rebel against this? What are the actions we're going to take to show the world that we're not okay with these changes and to sort of take back some ownership over our culture? And then we see what they decide to do about that. Now, Varg, maybe he's speaking more to contemporary Norwegian culture. I don't I don't really know what it's like every day in Norway. But he speaks of how there's more war and violence than ever before. Now, I don't want to underplay. There's countries throughout this world. There's turmoil in the Middle East. He uses the modernization as an excuse that it's all wrong. But the ancient days, are we saying they weren't violent? But he's kind of playing this up. And in the ni- early 90s, when a lot of this was happening... At least in the United States, crime had peaked. 
And ever since that point, it's actually been dropping. But of course, there's some um, exceptions to that, like sex crimes don't tend to be reported immediately. I think, honestly, with sex crimes, you can just double what you think you know, and that's probably closer to accurate. Vard kind of reminds me of like people who watch Fox News all the time, and it's like, the immigrants are cutting people's heads off in the streets. And it's like, no, that's not actually happening. And he's just playing this up. But I don't know why he's speaking about violence like it's uh, something that is proof that everything is wrong. These guys don't seem to be opposed to that kind of thing. I really think that what they're opposing the most is just that they're they're feeling that their culture and their roots are being stamped out. Benriz talks about, I really want to touch base on this. He's talking about art. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he hates, he's like that Central American artist. What's her name? He's referencing Frida Kahlo, but he doesn't know her name. She has strong eyebrows. I yeah, think strong says. eyebrows. Yeah. Maybe you could, this might be an English second language kind of scenario. I felt like a lot of things with Fenris got a little lost in translation because I think I know what he was talking about. And then he would say something that would be completely contradictory, yeah. which would not be unlike a black metal guy to just be negative for no reason. But he talks about Frida Kahlo, how he doesn't like her works. He can't remember her name. I know who he's talking about. We know who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says he doesn't like artists that, well, the reason he doesn't really like them is that they are persecuted and their way of expressing so their feelings about that are painting the strong colors and, and a lot of nature imagery. And he says, it's the perfect disease of being repressed. You want everything to be shiny. Then he goes on to say that he likes the wealthy and troubled art, the exhaustion of easy life. Oh, interesting. So I kind of misinterpreted what he was saying a little bit there. You know, I, I thought a lot about what he was saying there. I kind of had to watch it twice because I couldn't really quite get what he was saying. I think that seeing art made by people who have been persecuted makes him uncomfortable because he himself has not been. You know, he didn't really have many problems growing up and stuff. So maybe he just identifies more with like a tortured person who is maybe tortured by their own sort of like (laughs) ideas and feelings instead of like, you know, having external forces. So he likes the elitism of art. He likes the part of art that I hate. Wow. Okay. He goes on to say that his he grew up conservative and like you know his his parents didn't like or didn't support modern art and like that wasn't something that they really sort of like tried to instill in him. That he he calls something like the kind of art that they appreciated was the moose in the sunset. You know, you have a moose in the sunset, and that's that's pretty much what you see. It was what you get. And then his appreciation for different forms of art kind of come from rebellion against that. Not necessarily oh. like he's trying to rebel against his parents, but sort of like that he's maybe wants to see things a little bit differently. Interesting. Fenders, you're a complicated dude. But Fenders does stop by Bjorn's uh, Sons of Odin art show. We see a a picture of Mickey Rourke, like a tabloid shot of Mickey Rourke in corpse paint. But what did you think about, so Fenders is, he's there and and he's, he's, he's kind of walking through this and we see Bjorn kind of pop up in the background and they meet briefly. What did you think about that part? I felt so awkward. Oh, it seems so awkward. Bjorn is just standing there staring. I I had this vibe that Bjorn is very worshipful of these uh, dudes. Very. Fenrir is he's on the cutting room floor of all this shit. When Bjorn is sort of like he's going through footage and he's seeing the footage of Fenris walking endlessly through the woods, which we see over and over <laughs> again in this film. Um, he talks about how Fenris has quintessential black metal look like he's the guy in Bjorn's eyes 
Fenris like dies from embarrassment almost. Like he's like, I've got to get out of you here. You can tell he's very awkward. Yeah, he's wanting yeah. to leave and smoke a cigarette. Yeah, so it was it was cringy. We see the aftermath of the Fantoff Stave Church in Bergen. It's been burnt down. We meet Abath from the band Immortal. He said he was not involved, but very entertained by the church burnings. Yeah, I also want to say that that the the footage or the or imagery for, of that Fentoff Stave church, like the ashes of it, was like the album art, the cover art for oh, Burzum's yes. first album. Right. Yeah. But you know, I think I read that he ended up being like found not guilty for that one on, on like a technicality or some sort of like mistake by the jurors or something weird like that. Do yeah, you? the jury found that at least in one charge of a church burning that they had no evidence to charge him. Varg, he starts talking about Euronymous. Euronymous is getting more and more important into this scene. But in this one-upmanship, everyone's judging the fuck out of each other. Varg said, Euronymous wanted to appear extreme, but he wasn't really extreme. He was, he, we've all heard this, not metal enough. <laughs> That's what I say about you all the time, Bobby. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine with not being metal enough. <laughs> but Varg, he thought Euronymous was a phony. And he cornered him one day and called him out on his black metal cred. You need to show us how black metal you are, bruh. I wonder what the Norwegian word for bruh is. Yeah, they. I mean, they had a real black metal off. And the next thing you know, another church is up in flames. Euronymous came up with a plan. My interpretation was that he wanted to release a statement, not necessarily confess, but he, he was going to release a statement saying that, that they did it, but also not, like maybe it was like anonymous or something, because he says something like, but we weren't doing anything. So of course they weren't, they wouldn't think that it was us. They sent a statement to a paper and a paper turned them all in. Yeah. It all connected to the shop. They didn't know for a minute exactly how this all connected. They did not connect this to a black metal scene at first. And then they went to the Helveta record shop and then it started to make sense. Mm -hmm. Now we get tabloid, Norwegian tabloid papers. The word Satanist is slapped all over everything. And this is when black metal suddenly begins to explode. In every photo they could find of Vard posing with some sort of weapon or some sort of I don't know, skull or whatever. It was just all over the place. The Advent Church on the Giel Islands burns. Kering, the metal magazine, they are credited with being responsible for spreading a lot of the information worldwide on black metal. And they play up the satanic element, even though these guys, they don't, they worship the uh, Nordic gods. They don't worship Judeo-Christian gods or adversaries. We're doing this for Odin, man. <laughs> Lots of copycats spun up after this article was released. Like a lot of kids like, like I'm going to burn churches too. And, you know, <laughs> went out and painted themselves up and started burning churches. Bjorn meets up with a guy named Frost from Satyricon. He is the dude that's full on nails in his jacket. Bjorn is taking pictures of him. Frost is his go-to uh, buddy for some black metal representation. Bjorn also takes footage of Fenris doing what Fenris does best, walking. Mm -hmm. Walking and photographing him while he's walking. <laughs> There's yeah. like 30 minutes of Fenris walking in this movie. Yeah, and I think that's when Bjorn kind of says that that Fenris is the guy. 
that Bjorn wants to do what eventually we see Frost goes on to do. Yeah. But he says, you know, Fenris would never do it. And after we see Fenris like throughout this film, I completely agree. He would never, he would never agree to do what Bjorn kind of wants him to do as part of like this performance art that we will see. Fenris, he's getting, uh, he's doing some phone interviews with some music mags. This, uh, this exchange is so confusing. Turns out I was writing just what they wanted. Okay. And now I'm writing what no one wants because that is to be really fucking depressed if you really understand it and then wanted to take your fucking life. I At least I do because I'm looking at my lyrics for the last two albums and I'm seeing my fucking world in hell. Okay. Okay. And thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your time. Okay. See you later. Hey, hey. We're reaching the point where I'm like, Fenders, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head because this this scene to me, like, he's on the phone, he's being interviewed, whatever, and it's just so uncomfortable. Like, and I, I don't like to hear people talking on the phone anyway. Right. But he's he's kind of like trying to explain himself and about his music philosophy and everything. And I'm like sitting here just like cringing into myself because it's just a very uncomfortable scene for me. You know, he feels like there's a perception that he is only allowed to listen to and make black metal music, but he loves all kinds of different music. He loves electronic music and he kind of talks about specific bands and artists that he likes and, and is like very shocked that anyone would ever imagine that he wouldn't like these kinds of music and he gets agitated kind of and it's like a whole, it's a whole back and forth. I think that's pretty much it in the nutshell. But his new lyrics make him want to take his fucking life. <laughs> that was an interesting conversation. Bjorn meets up with Frost. Frost is discussing the, they're discussing a new Satyricon album. So Satyricon is a black metal band that is moving forward in the aftermath of all this stuff. So Frost might actually represent a lot of like the, the movement of the trend going forward in black metal. But he's walking around in corpse paint. Who says darkness with a capital D? I think it's Bjorn. No, Frost does. He's like, then I'm talking about darkness with uh, a capital D then. If you understand what I mean. Like, <laughs> do we know what he's talking about? I don't know. Does he mean like, he says he chose the name Frost as a purification of the side of himself that is into the darkness, the greenness, and the coldness of black metal. An alter ego. <laughs> Varg was upset because now that black metal's blown up, church burnings are all the rage. He said that he got upset because they went and made the press right. That the mm. press said, this is what these people do. And then that black metal fans and people within the circles were like, I'm going to go do those things. And Varg's like, fuck. Anyone ultimately will give a fuck what you're doing it for. Right. It's really just all about burning the churches. Now, they're talking about Euronymous. Euronymous has gone around. He's telling people, you know, that Varg fucker, he really has to die. This is a close-knit community. If Euronymous thinks someone's keeping a secret, they're not. Varg says he believes him because he's told, told like a very few amount of people. And one of those people told him. Yeah. And then Varg is like, you know what? We got to kill this fucker. Yeah, so this this whole section to me is, I feel like, is like the culmination of what this entire film has been like building up to is like this scenario that we're about to talk about. Yeah, it's one of the most infamous moments in the history of black metal. Mm-hmm. So infamous enough to even surpass the burnings of a dozen more or more churches. Absolutely, yeah. Varg talks about how Euronymous, he wanted to shock and torture him. He wanted to stun him with a stun gun, kidnap him, and torture him to death on film. He wanted to make a snuff film. This is what Varg says. But Euronymous, we don't hear from Euronymous. 
There's a reason for that. There is a big reason for that. Then Varg says that Euronymous was suddenly very friendly to him. And they were talking about how they had to go to Oslo to deal with something regarding a record contract. Yeah, he says that he says Euronymous kind of reached out to him and was like, are we friends? Like, check yes or no or something. <laughs> like, and he knew then that there there's something, something was going on. He was trying to kind of get in, get into his life again. They end up going to an apartment. Is it Euronymous's apartment or Varg's apartment? It's Euronymous's apartment. They get into the apartment and then suddenly they start tussling and Euronymous kicks Varg. <laughs> Varg talks about how he's brutally stunned. Then they both get a hold of knives and start like slashing and tussling around. Euronymous runs into his bedroom. Varg thinks he's going to get a shotgun. The same shotgun that Death shot himself with. But Vargas didn't know that the shotgun wasn't in there. So Euronymous, I guess they tussle. They're both holding knives. They're just running around holding knives. It's hard to gauge exactly what... They kind of go through this pretty quick. They do go through it quickly. And again, we're only getting Varg's account of this. There was another person there that we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, he talks about how Euronymous runs down the stairs. He, he's like, you know, Varg is even saying that maybe Euronymous is at this point starting to panic. So he tries to run out. He falls yeah. into a lamp. Broken shit everywhere. So people mm -hmm. are getting like cut up on like broken glass and lamp stuff. <laughs> the guy in the car is Mayhem guitarist Blackthorn. Yeah. Who Blackthorn was just like, what, what, what the fuck's going on? Suddenly these dudes are at it and they're holding knives. Then Euronymous attacks Varg again, and then Varg takes his knife, thwack right in his skull. Mm -hmm. And he said Euronymous drops very quickly after that, and then Euronymous would die from his wounds. And well, that, was, that part was so interesting to me because Varg was like, yeah, we were fighting and then I go to stab, chop, what do you, how do you say? <laughs> in the skull and he actually calls, he's not, he's calling him, him Oystein, his real name during, yeah. throughout all this. And he's like, and you know, I took care of him. And, and then he just like kind of throw it out. Like I just took, I took, I took care of him. And, very matter of fact. And that was it. And like, I was like, what, wait, the first time I watched that, I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Wait, he just, he did, he, and he then, took care of him. He took, he officially took care of him, yeah. Seemed like a very bad Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah. Until suddenly, Euronymous just gets a knife in his skull. Blackthorn, the, the guy that was there, he actually got charged as an accomplice. And yeah. And was sent to, you know. He ran, according to Varg, he ran with the keys. Varg chased him down because Blackthorn was freaking the fuck out. And Naturally. Varg, and, and Varg is... He catches up to him and convinces him to give him the keys. And I think from that point, Blackthorn is considered an accomplice because he never went to the police or anything. Even by Varg's admission, it didn't seem like Blackthorn knew this was going to happen. Right. He wasn't exactly involved. But I guess in hiding the fact that Varg did this or not admitting that what happened, he became an accomplice. Yeah. But eventually Varg is arrested and charged, as is Blackthorn. I kind of wonder, and I'd like to learn more about how they traced him, like how it came back to him. It wasn't too clear on that. Yeah. This community is so tight. It seems like some of these black metal guys, they don't really care a lot of the time. Yeah. So I can see if like a policeman was like, did he ever say he wanted to kill this person? Oh yeah, who gives a fuck? We loved it. 
Mm-hmm. We're proud of him for wanting to, like. We honor him, like that guy said. <laughs> you notice we're calling a lot of these people by their black metal names, except for Varg. Yeah. Because Count Grishnok is just like I an just can't. obnoxious yeah. mouthful. Right. That's a good band name, obnoxious mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> but he is sentenced to the maximum Norwegian penalty of 21 years. More than Faust, who was only charged for 14 years. Right. And I have in my notes that Faust testified against Varg. So maybe that, maybe he actually, maybe he did have a part in sort of exposing Varg as having some sort of connection, which had got the ball rolling for him to eventually get arrested. We see a collage of uh, the many styles of Varg as Varg is explaining how it's hard to find the truth when you're bombarded by lies. And in our uh, media landscape here in America, I, I related to that. So mm-hmm. He was says at some point, he's like, the truth is out there. And I know that sounds like an X-Files thing, but <laughs> <laughs> but I really mean it. Yarn uh, says that Frost is like an angel of the dark universe. He's really kissing Frost's ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frost is on a plane <laughs> going to where they're going. They're going uh, to Milan for a show. Yeah. There's a kid just staring at Frost. Frost seems just very cold in general, bizarrely both comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah, so let me paint a picture to our audience of, of the way Frost looks. He's he's very, I mean, kind of how you expect long black hair, very pale, black leather jacket, black clothes and stuff. But there's something kind of like, he's also got like the black eyeliner on. But there's something very almost mask-like about his yeah. appearance. And he even wears a mask, I think, in his performance. But his face, and he's just very like, unblinking and you know like bobby said he's on this he's in the seat just staring ahead not blinking like looking just like a dark angel and this little kid is sitting next to him just staring like what is what is that he looks like a like a, a like a smaller statured peter Steele. yeah kind of has that look yeah but like yeah you're yeah he's like a real kind of thin dude it cuts to Finners, and he's talking about black metal because that's what this movie is about mm-hmm. uh, it's out there now he says it's not in our hands Black metal is a brand now. What can I do? To Milan, Italy. That's where Frost is flying. To the Bjarne show. Now, Bjarne, he has those paintings like I've described all propped up. And then a couch, which is has words painted all over it. And uh, Bjarne's show, this uh, public performance that's occurring, Bjarne is titled it, Kill Me Before I Do It Myself. Frost comes out in his corpse painting. I think he is wearing a mask, like you said. And Frost is burning the drawings and the paintings. How is he burning them, Bobby? Isn't he like doing the kerosene blow yeah. thing? Yeah. So he's has a torch and he's blowing kerosene on it like fire. He's fire, fire eaters. Yeah. The crap out of these paintings. Yeah. Then he starts stabbing the couch, which I'm. I think I'm seeing uh, at least two senior shows. That involves couch stabbings. Senior citizen shows? Yeah, yeah. You should check out the art shows at uh, retirement homes. (laughs) They get nuts. They don't give a fuck about anything. Including the couches. And he starts uh, cutting himself. (laughs) And then cutting the side of his neck. (laughs) He knows not to cut like his arteries, but there's blood like going everywhere. We're talking about okay so this room that he's doing this in seems to be a pretty small space and the audience watching is i mean two feet away from what he's doing and so there are people you know standing pretty much right next to him as he's like cutting himself and like blood's kind of spurting out and stuff and i think at some point when he starts cutting his neck the guy directly behind him like runs out of the room it cuts to kind of the footage of the people watching just in shock and in horror at what they're what they're seeing but uh, when the show ends uh ends with frost lying on the couch like he's dying and then there's a big applause 
I can only hope that people that were there kind of knew what they were getting themselves sure. into. Actually, I hope they didn't because then that would be even more shocking. That would be more fun for us to um, imagine that. So I would love to take this moment to kind of like do like a throwback memory to you, Bobby. Okay. The first memory I have of you oh, is you doing some performance art at Austin P State University. I see this guy running around in a suit and he's got a doll in his hand and he's screaming at people <laughs> and waving the doll, Yeah, I think. Does that sound familiar to yeah, you? Yeah, it was like this installation suitcase piece, which I turned into a performance piece. You you sure did. Because I could not be bound in my, in my 19 year oldness to any one sculpture project. Yeah. And I represented this fake organization. It was supposed to be satirical, you know, as in that way, maybe not that refined, but I would try to get people to sign up for an organization called Violence Universal. And then I'd lose my fucking mind <laughs> on like a big bird doll. Right. And it was just, uh, it was just me going from like zero to like psychotic yeah. on like stuffed toys. And then you stabbed a couch and, and cut your neck. <laughs> I didn't drag a couch. Show, right? No? Oh, okay. I didn't have a couch, okay. but... I did do it to a stuffed big bird. <laughs> and the little flyers that I handed out ended up getting me in trouble. People thought it was some kind of like hate group or something, even though it was a fake stuff. So I actually got kicked out of campus for like a 24-hour period. <gasps> and then I had to bring up First Amendment. I remember saying that a lot. And I think they got a little worried about uh, how it might look. I imagine doing this now. I might actually even get in more trouble nowadays. Yeah. This wasn't so long after Columbine when this oh, okay. when this occurred. And I think people were particularly paranoid. But it wasn't a hate group. It was I thought it was obvious because I made a list of what the organization loved the most. And one of it was like Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I had put signs on the flyer that this wasn't serious, that this was a joke, but right. People will read what they want to read into things. It's like how people will read the title of an article and complain about the article that they never read. They just read the title. That's true. Man, you're so black metal, Bobby. I, who, who knew? And this is before I knew you. Like I just, like I knew of you through seeing you do. There's a few people I know that have, that I know today that have, were introduced to me through that. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty interesting. I haven't thought of or talked about that in years, but well, I'm, glad, little, I'm glad to uh, bring that up. I was a little troublemaker at my life. <laughs> Like low writ university. Well, it was it was fun. I thought I thought you you know you were you were a bold fella. Well, I would eventually just decide to stop showing up. Mm. So because man, it just couldn't contain me, Ginger. That's right. And that about winds it down for this movie. Fenris talks about how part of me wishes it didn't turn into a trend, but I think he does have a lot of benefit from it being a trend and being so big. And I think you kind of see him enjoying that. In a lot of ways. And I think he's a little bit torn about that, too, which is why he kind of brings it up. He's calling attention to the fact that maybe he's benefiting in a way, but he doesn't like the, the fact that he's benefiting from it or something. Like, he yeah. just seems, like, uncomfortable with that notion a little bit. And Helveta is now a very clean-looking art gallery. Mm-hmm. So. A real posh-looking place. And that does it for this film, Until the Light Takes Us, by Aaron Aitz and Audrey Ewell. So Fenris, he turned out to kind of be an accidental councilman, or he was up to be elected as a councilman, which I know it's very kind of shocking to think about that. Something like where he he agreed to be added to some sort of list, and he didn't think he would ever be chosen because the list was long. He ended up being chosen to be a candidate. So his campaign imagery, like his marketing or whatever, was him holding his cat with the word saying, please don't vote for me. 
Varg's Varg's out of j- prison by now. So Varg is an interesting guy. He actually ended up legally changing his name to Louis Cachet, Louis Cachet, like a Frenchy name. Yeah, because he and he apparently lives in France with his wife now and has several children. But he has—I don't know if he currently does. He did or currently has a blog and a YouTube channel entitled Thulian Perspective. The world is a mess. We agree. And now it's up to you and me. However, I'm a family guy talking on YouTube. Not the family guy, but a family guy talking on a public platform called YouTube. Thulian perspective. perspective. We also were thrown out of from our bank and I actually I can't have a Patreon account even because I also was thrown out from PayPal, our band from PayPal. Well, what a fun thrill ride that was. Now Ginger, we don't rate things in a star rating scale. That's for those poser metal fucks. Mm -hmm. Guys who think they're supposed to put nails in their jackets. (laughs) Who go into the Helvetta record shop and they get all excited like little children. But actually, you know what? The Herzog rating scale is not black metal. The Herzog rating scale is inclusive, Mm -hmm. peaceful, observant. Full of heart. It is metal for the sake of metal, but it does not support the ideologies of the black metal core. Nonetheless, you're going to give this one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. Then we will combine them like dead in his shotgun. Yes. For best out of 10 Herzogs. Ginger, what do you think of this movie until the light takes us? I'm actually kind of torn about this because there are things that I took issue with. Like, I don't know if we mentioned, but the audio was an issue for me because they had the the music like mixed up really loudly and a lot of like um you wouldn't call it vocals on a documentary but like the talking parts were so low i couldn't understand what they were saying a lot of times i had to rewind things whatever um so just production wise i had an issue with that it it kind of jumped back and forth between like you know interviews and footage and narrative and stuff you know that was taking some points away for me but at the same time like it was really compelling the characters, I guess you could say, were very compelling. I've watched it many times, so that says something. I think I would give this 3.75. I had problems with the production, the audio. There's no boom mics going on in this movie. You're just kind of in the room with Varg or with Fenris, and you're just having a conversation. A lot. I felt like I got used to it, though, but I couldn't. I had to move when watching this movie because I was in my living room, and Angela and her brother were in the kitchen. They were making dinner, chatting it up, and they weren't. It's not usually a problem, but because they spoke so softly and their voices seemed so far back, I had to move to the basement to watch this. <laughs> and so I moved to the basement, and I had to turn it up to hear them. But then you'd get the contrast of like these black metal riffs that would come in and out. So it'd be like, (laughs) it was annoying at first, but I felt a little charmed by it because black metal is also has its own low rent kind of philosophy. I guess in a movie about black metal, having shitty sound is bizarrely appropriate. Yeah, good point. Yeah. (laughs) But it was fascinating about the arrogance of these Varg and Fenris. A lot of people that we're talking to, they're not very apologetic at all some of them are trying to move forward but are riding that line on capitalizing their own reputation from the past and that was the most fascinating point of this movie to me also this movie looks like it was made for like a thousand bucks at the most but that's kind of the power of a documentary is how 
you need very little sometimes. And if your subject is interesting enough or has something to say, then it could still convey in a very interesting way. I feel like if you're not inherently interested in this, this could be boring, except for the, the picture. No one could be bored of a picture of a dude who just shotgunned himself. You're going to have a very visceral reaction to that. But you might be surprised at the fact that there's not a lot more of that shown over and over again. That just seemed to come out of nowhere in respect to the fact that a lot of this movie is very quiet. And maybe we didn't need a lot of that much Fenris walking. I didn't hate right. the, the music as much as I did back then. I'm a little more curious about it. But there w did seem to be a lot of stuff that was a little extraneous, specifically the walking scenes. Even today, people still talk about this story and this genre and this band. It still resonates. And you got to give this movie credit for being yet another level in which it introduced black metal deeper into pop culture. And this movie is a part of that. I'm with you. 3.75. Okay. Hey. You take your 3.75, combine it with my 3.75, that is 7.5 out of 10 Herzogs. Woo! For Until the Light Takes Us by Aaron Ates and Audrey Ewell. And you know what? I would love if Aaron Ates and Audrey Ewell did a follow-up to this documentary. And I want it from their perspective to see how that they've grown as filmmakers from doing it here. I know other people can come in and uh, talk to Varg about this Thulean bullshit. That's me, Thulean perspective, pissing people off. I would be into that, yeah. If they ever, now that uh, Varg is free and Fenris has probably only gotten even more prolific, I would love to hear what's going on now. What are their perspectives now? Or is there anything that they've, left behind that they used to hold on to. And uh, that's that movie, Until the Light Takes Us by Aaron Ates and Audrey Ewell. Fuck nationalism. I just want to say that. It's not going to get you anywhere. It and has like an echo effect to that, so it's like... Yeah. Ooh. Fuck nationalism. It's bullshit. Things change. It ain't always going to be good, but things are different. Just live the life you want to live without affecting other people. And if the way you want to live involves hurting other people or burning churches, it's not the way to win the fight, bro. How brave and amazing we are. That said, seven and a half Herzogs for Until the Light Takes Us. Ginger, I'm glad we finally got to talk about this movie. Finally. Oh, we're, we're shaking, we're shaking hands. hands right now. And I, there's <laughs> another black metal film that I would love to do that's 30 minutes. It's about the band Gorgoroth, specifically about their frontman Gaul, that I would love to do. It's Like I said, it's only 30 minutes, so maybe you can like throw a little bonus ep sometime and cover that. You know what? It might just happen. And with some plans that are uh, that I might let the audience in on as we approach the Ooh. next year. Because we are approaching first year anniversary of the Documenteers. Wow, congrats. And you're the we, best audience. We love you guys. So follow us on social media. I suck at Twitter. It's just how it is. Check out Instagram, though. Email us at documenteerspodcasts at gmail.com. And please, for the love of Odin, can you give us five stars and a review on iTunes? If you haven't done that, we'd really appreciate it. And if you're a black metal dude coming along because we're doing this movie, you know how your ego is, man. All right? Rub our egos since we've rubbed your egos. Give us five stars and a brief review on iTunes. <laughs> We're not pretending to be you. We're just fascinated with what you're doing. Right. Except for the whole racism shit. Yeah, we don't like that. We don't like it. All right, y'all. Keep on docking.
motherfucking nerd.